to us, Lord, speak through me. Take what I have, God, take what I have to offer and turn it into something that would bring you glory and would bring uh, good and healthy life to our body and to us. In your name, Lord, amen. Amen. All right, so today we celebrate, along with the entire Christian church, uh, the day of Pentecost. And Pentecost is sort of like the church's birthday. Um, It was about 1,986 years ago that the body of Christ, the church, was founded at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended in Jerusalem. And we're going to be reading that story. So if you would turn there with me to Acts chapter 2 you have your Bibles. This is sort of like on your birthday, if your parent ever brought out your birth video and made you watch it. We're going to be reading this every year on Pentecost. This is our birth video. This is the exciting moment. So I'm going to read this to you. This is Acts 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, all the disciples of Jesus. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews uh, from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd, a crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs in our own languages. We hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What it meant was that the Holy Spirit had come to reside on earth in his church, and it was the establishment of the church, and our church, and all other Christian churches, every single church that holds to the gospel, that holds to Christ, is a a child or a great, 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 great grandchild of that church in Jerusalem. All of us tie our roots back to that moment, and we all get to share in that together. That's something we don't have a uh, we don't have control of it. That belongs to all of us. Pentecost is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise to his disciples back in Acts one. Jesus tells his disciples, if you remember, he tells them, "You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea." and in all of Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's one of our key verses for this year. At the beginning of the year, we kind of talked about key verses, and that was one of the key verses that we were looking at this year. Last week, uh, if you were here, uh, you got to hear Erica Cox, a pastor from Washington and and my friend and cousin. Uh, She shared that at times the church has really struggled with this idea of the Holy Spirit. Um, What does the Holy Spirit mean? And we speak a lot about the Father, we speak a lot about Jesus, but sometimes we're kind of like this crowd in Jerusalem. What does this mean? Um, This is perplexing to us. So today we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is the present, 
personal power of God. That's right, folks. It took 10 months, but I am preaching a three-point sermon in alliteration for the first time in this church. So congratulations to you on being here. We're going to be talking about the present personal power of God. And our text is not going to be Acts 2, actually. It's going to be Acts 19. So I know you just, you already turned to Acts 2, and now I'm making you turn all the way to Acts 19, but would you do that? All right, let's look at this together. I, I, I'm really excited about this uh, this morning because, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very excited to share this. So the Spirit is present. The Spirit is present. Now, soon after we uh, it had that experience at Acts 2 in Jerusalem, right? Soon after that, the gospel begins to spread throughout all the Mediterranean. It gets, it gets taken by merchants who were Christians, who were traveling as a part of their natural uh, evangelism through what they did, through their work. It was taken by specific missionaries like Paul and others who were actually sent by God or by churches to share the gospel. It was taken by ordinary people who knew people, um, at this time, everything, every, everything is traveled by foot. There's uh, natural communication networks through trade and commerce and that sort of thing. And the gospel begins to kind of filter out through the entire Mediterranean world in the years after uh, the uh, Acts 2 story in Jerusalem. And one of the things that happens is there's a man that we, hear, that we learn about in Acts 19. His name is Apollos. And Apollos is a Jew from Alexandria. That's in northern Africa. So in northern Africa, Apollo, so Jew, gets converted to Christianity. We don't really know his background. All we know is that he was a Jew there, and then he goes to Ephesus, and Ephesus is uh, further north in the Mediterranean, and he founds a little church there, and it says that he founded the church, and then he left. He had other business to do, so he moved on. Maybe he was a merchant. Maybe he was going from place to place. He found a little church, and he left. And a little while after that, the apostle Paul was making his way through some of the churches in the Mediterranean, and he came to Ephesus, and he found this little church here. And at a time that it had been there, since Apollos had founded it until Paul found it, the church had grown to about 12 people. Now, some churches are small, and that's just, that's just who they are. We're, we're a smaller church, and that's, there's nothing, I think, wrong with being a smaller church. But the city of Ephesus was about 150,000 people there. And the only Christians in that entire city were these 12 people meeting together in a church. Now, if we were in the city of Eugene, and there was me, and there was 11 of you guys, and now we're the only Christians in Eugene for quite some time, I would be a little concerned. (laughs) I would think to myself, what happens if we get sick, right? What happens uh, if one of us has to leave? That's, you're down a twelfth of your Christian population in your city, right? That's a problem. So I would be thinking, we've got to spread the gospel. What's going on here? What was the problem? What, what was the, why weren't they growing? Okay, so let's read in Acts 19. I'm going to start here at verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions, and he came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? And they replied, no, we have not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Although they had received the gospel, they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you guys, there is no power present in a Christian's life 
until you have received the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of the Spirit that makes a difference in the life of a believer. Last week, I I really believe that we heard a prophetic word from Erica. And this is what I heard from her. She said, it's the fruit of the Spirit that prepares us for the outpouring of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at that verse in Galatians. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says there's no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. So it's living by the Spirit. It's being guided by the Spirit, which produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and prepares us to receive the gifts of the Spirit. It's the presence of the Spirit of God. If the presence of the Spirit of God is not in your heart, you cannot produce the gifts or the fruit of the Spirit. Can you think of anyone in your life? Can you think of somebody that you have known in your life who was guided by the Spirit, who lived by the Spirit? I think of uh, my grandma Agnes. And she was a woman who, just being around her, put you at peace. Have you ever known somebody like that, where you just get around them, it seems like they have an aura of peace about them. And it just seems like, even if you're concerned about something, you're anxious about something, when you're in the presence of this person, things just calm down. That is the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit being present in their life and you experiencing that. My grandma wasn't outspoken. Hers was a quiet evangelism. I never saw her exercise a demon. Never heard her preach and pray in tongues. She wasn't Pentecostal at all. But there was something peaceful about her presence. Something holy about her presence. It was the fruit of the Spirit that pointed to the presence of the Spirit in our life. We need to look to our elders because I think it takes some time to develop that presence of God in your life. So we look to our elders to, to see that, to be examples of that for us. But I wonder if you can think of somebody in your own life who you've known who had the presence of God about them. Brothers and sisters, I don't really care if your church has programs that rival Disneyland. If you got a kicking youth group, I don't care. I don't care if your, your Christian spirituality has grown to such a point that you've memorized all the lyrics of every Michael W. Smith song and you've been to Ignite the Fire every year since 1985. If the Holy Spirit is not present in your life, your spirituality, your church, your ministry will be devoid of life because it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of the resurrected Jesus through the Holy Spirit that brings life to people. So number one, the Spirit of God is God present with us. Number two, the Spirit of God is personal. So it says here, and Paul learns that they don't have the Spirit, and so they are baptized into the name of Jesus. And then it says in verse 6, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about 12. If the Father is God out there, and the Son is God with us, the Holy Spirit is God in us and upon us. 
The Holy Spirit is God within us. And I'll be honest with you, when I was writing this sermon this week um, and putting it all together, this was the point that God gave me the point before he gave me the explanation of it. Sometimes a sermon is a process. <laughs> you, get the, you get the notes, and then God kind of develops the, the background of it. And so this, this particular one, Holy Spirit is personal. Well, God, I, that was a hard one for me this week. I was digging with that. And it did not strike me until honest last night. And I'm so glad uh, Pastor Lupe is here uh, because it was at her church last night. We, we got to go uh, to the Hispanic church and meet to the congregational church, and it was a wonderful time. Uh, thank you so much again for having us there. And it was there... Uh, I remember during worship, I was praying, and I was, I was worshiping, and it was in Spanish, which I knew I know a little bit of Spanish, um, and, and one of the songs I did recognize, so I was able to sing it in English, but for the most part, I spent the time just praying, um, because prayer is also an act of worship, and I found in my spirit being stirred up to pray for breakthrough for this church, right? being stirred up that there's something that needs to just push through. And I, so I began to pray, uh, and I began to pray in the Spirit. I began to pray in English, and I prayed um, about this issue. And then it kind of struck me. The Holy Spirit really spoke to me. And I thought to myself, why am I so concerned about this church? I don't know these people. I mean, I know Lupe. I know Arturo. But I don't know any of these people here. What is it that's making this such an issue for me? Why is this such concern for me? And I realized that the Holy Spirit personalizes things that shouldn't be personal to you. He makes them important. I had no reason in myself to be concerned. But because God was concerned, he made his concern personal to me. The Spirit of God makes God personal to you. And when God is personal to you, then the concerns that God has become your concerns. The desires that God has become your desires. And suddenly it makes sense to pray for people you don't even know because God knows them. And the Holy Spirit is making their concerns personal to you. Uh, When I was at Fuller, Mark Laverton, who uh, who was the president there, I saw him preach once, and he told a story, and I want to tell it to you. He said he, one time he traveled to uh, a country in uh, the Middle East, which at the time was experiencing a lot of persecution from some authorities. In fact, they had uh, bands of people actually going out and actively finding Christians to persecute. And he said he was there. He happened to be there um, at that time, and he went and visited a high school in, in, one of these, in a Christian area uh, and he went to the high school, and he found like 200 children had gathered at this high school from Christian families. They'd all come together because the, their parents had sent them to the high school in the hope that um, if they got them all in the same place, there'd be some protection there. So all these kids got sent to this high school during this time of persecution. Mark Laberton was there, and he found two women uh, who were there staying with the kids and kind of helping them out. And staying overnight, which was especially the dangerous time. And so he was talking with one of these women. And he said, why, why, why would you want to come here? It's just like a target on this place. And you are an adult 
I mean, the kids by themselves, maybe there would be mercy shown to them. But you're an adult here with these kids. Why is it that you would want to come here and be here throughout the entire night with these kids? And he said, the woman simply said, I'm a Christian. That's all the explanation that she could even give. I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. Because the needs of these children, who weren't her own, had become personal to her through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit was more concerned about these kids than even she could be. But the Holy Spirit made them personal to her so that she was even willing to put her life on the line for them. Not enough of a of a power of her own, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, through the Holy Spirit, reduces the emotional distance between yourself and your neighbor. This world has a lot of reasons why we should be angry and upset and hate each other. Just turn on the news. Just look at Facebook. There's a lot of reasons why we should be angry and hate each other. The Holy Spirit comes in and reduces the emotional distance that we have set up between one another and says, you know what? I'm concerned about that person. I'm concerned about that person. And it challenges us to be concerned about people for whom we have no personal concern because the Spirit of God is concerned about them. Your capacity for love will increase when the Spirit is present because the Spirit of God makes the love of God personal to us. The Spirit is the present, personal power of God. Let's read on. This is now after they have received the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, Paul laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied, and altogether there were 12. And now in verse 8. He entered the synagogue and for three months boldly spoke out and argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. And when some stubbornly refused to believe and spoke evil of the way before the congregation, he left, taking the disciples with him and argued daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. In two years' time, Not only had they been able to preach the entire 150,000 people living in Ephesus, but every person who traveled through, every outlying village, the entire region, had heard the gospel. Verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that when the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Uh, handkerchiefs is, uh, just as an interesting historical note, when the healing movement began in the 1880s and 1890s here in the United States, um, it had been preceded by some healing movements that began in Germany and um, in Austria. But when it hit here in the 1880s, 1890s by a man named Charles Cullis in the Northeast, handkerchiefs were also used for healing. If you were sick, you could send a handkerchief by mail 
to uh, Charles Collis or the church that he was working in or another healing movement, and they would pray over it and send it back to you, and, and it would produce healings. And in fact, when I was in Los Angeles um, uh, for school, I, I had the privilege of working for a bit in the archives of Life Pacific College, which is our uh, university that's a part of uh, the Foursquare Church. And in the archives... I actually found a handkerchief that had been prayed for by Amy Sill McPherson uh, for somebody for healing in, you know, back in the 20s or 30s. So it was still, it was something that continued for a while. So it's not, um, it's an old thing, but it's something that actually uh, happened even less than 100 years ago, which is really exciting. Verse 18, let's go on here. Also, many of those who had became believers confessed and disclosed their practices. A number of those who practiced magic collected their books and burned them publicly. When the value of these books was calculated, it was found to come to 50,000 silver coins, uh, which equals several millions of dollars, upwards of about $6 million in today's currency. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. If you had told those dozen believers that in two years... Their ministry would be responsible for reaching every single person in the surrounding region, including miraculous healings, including people confessing their sins and coming to Christ, including the people who were the religious icons of the day, the magicians of the day, giving millions of dollars of their merchandise to the flame because they've experienced such a, such a conversion. That dozen people, they'd look at you like you were crazy. In two years' time, there's 12 of us. Actually, there's 11. Frank is sick this week, you know? How would you expect? Nobody here even knows we exist. 12 people here. What made up the difference? How was this small group able to command such a ministry? Was it because the Apostle Paul was just a really persuasive speaker? He was just such a cool guy. People saw him and they were like giving him millions of dollars. No, absolutely not. The Spirit of God is the power of God. Power for changing lives. Power for freedom from sin and addiction. Power for healing. Power for gifts. Power to produce fruit that will last. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, says Jesus. Church, I see the busyness of our lives, the busyness of our ministries, and I think about a cruise ship stuck on a sandbar sometimes. And when I say church, I mean all of us, the entire church, not just specific to us. Sometimes I I look at us like a cruise ship stuck on the sandbar, and we rev our engines as hard as we possibly can to remove ourselves from stagnation, to produce some sort of growth, push as hard as we can. And all we do is get more and more stuck. The more that we do, the harder that we try to produce fruit in our lives, the the more and more difficult it becomes. But if you would just wait for the tide, if you would just wait for the tide, if you would wait upon God and rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit, it would produce a change you could not imagine in you and in the people around you. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. For the past several weeks, we've been hearing from different people, myself, Chuck, 
Erica about how the Spirit is present in your life in a slow, plodding, day-by-day, every-day movement. I hope you have been listening because none of us collaborated on that topic. We just all were preaching on it. So God is trying to say something. Listen. It's not just about the miracles and the healings and the excitement and the gasoline. Don't you understand? Every time you resist temptation, every time you decide to speak the truth when it would be more convenient to tell a lie, every time that you pray, every time that you open up Scripture and listen to God, whenever you stand up for the weak or those who are being oppressed, you are activating the Spirit of God's power in your life. You're tapping into something else. And if you don't tap into that for the normal, everyday process of resisting temptation, of praying for those around you, of working your faith out, then how could you expect the Spirit of God miraculously to show up in the huge explosion of faith that we would expect to see? It's that daily, everyday relationship with the Spirit of God that makes the power of God available to you. It has never been about your own personal ability. It is about your personal availability to the Spirit of God. Are you available to the Spirit? And i got to admit to you, church, that oftentimes as a pastor, I struggle with that idea because I struggle with my own effectiveness. God, I want to be more effective. Was that sermon effective? Did I get it across how I wanted to? Did it... Are my prayers helping? Or am I, is my counsel holy? Am I being effective for you? God reminds me of uh, Moses, right? You know the story of Moses. Moses sees a burning bush. He, he you know, hangs a left and, and gets out there, and he's got it in his bare feet. And God says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh because I have a plan to free my people from slavery. And Moses says, me, I can't even speak very well. I, maybe you had a speech impediment. I, I can't, I can't uh, you know, do that. My ability is not up to par with the task that you're calling me to. And God says, it's not about your ability. It's never been about your ability, Moses. It's about your availability. Not will you be able to do this, but will you allow me to do it? Will you be open to me doing it in and through you? You may say, I, I'm not the right one to love my wife right now. I don't have that ability. And God says, oh, that's fine. I have the ability to love your wife, but I need a vessel through whom to love her. And you may say, gosh, I can't share the gospel with my coworkers and my neighbors. I don't even know how to do that. How would I even go about doing that? God says, I, I have the words for that. I can cover all that. What I need is a mouth through which to speak. Man, I can't. Gosh, guys, if, it, I, if there's a sick person, how can I pray for this person for healing? I, don't, I can't pray very well. And God says, the prayers of a righteous and good, just person does what? Avails much. 
Not the well-spoken, eloquent words. Are you being available for the Spirit of God? I don't care about your ability. I often look at the deficits of my own ability. I often do that. But it's not about me. It's not about my ability. It's about am I being available for God to work through me? The lesson of Pentecost that the church has been trying to learn for almost 2,000 years is that it is not about the church. It is not about the church. It's about the present personal power of the Holy Spirit working through the church to transform the world and advance his kingdom. Am I concerned about the church when I see pastors stumbling and falling? No, because it has never been about the pastors. It has never been about the Christian leaders. It is about the Spirit of God moving through your life to bring change to this world. Not one person can take the place of the Spirit of God. My faith in God rests in God, not in any person. The work of the Holy Spirit is much, much more about what God can accomplish through you than about what you can accomplish for God. So we're going to have some time now of prayer. And I want to I just challenge you. If you would say, look, I, I have been looking more to myself, more to people around me, more to leaders, more to those who seem to be more mature than I am. I've been looking to those people. I've been looking to myself to find the ability to get things done, to find righteousness. If that's you this morning, would you just join me in prayer? Would you put your hands out in front of you? Father, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for looking to people for the fulfillment of the work that you want to do? Would you forgive us, Lord? Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you present. We need you personal. We need your power, Lord. Holy Spirit, please, come upon us in a new way, in a fresh way, Lord. Do among us your work, O Lord. Not for our own glory, not so we can prove something to the people around us or to our city, but simply for the fact that we love you and your concerns for this city, for this people, for our families have become our concerns. Do the work through us, Lord. And Lord, right now I lift up our community to you. Jesus, I lift up, we as the church, not just me, we as the church here on Pentecost, we lift up our community to you. We are the ones who are going to stand in the gap between you and our community and lift them up. We are the ones who are here calling you forth, 
calling you out and say, God, would you come and heal our community? I pray right now that your righteousness and justice would not take second seat to your grace and mercy, nor would your grace and mercy take second seat to your righteousness and your justice. But God says, I am the righteous judge who will bring peace through grace and mercy. Lord, you are the judge of every one of our hearts. And right now we just ask that your presence would come upon our city, upon every heart here to produce righteousness and justice and mercy. Lord, give it to us in full abundance. Pour it out on us, O Lord. Pour it on us, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Last night I had the opportunity to pray with our uh, with the Hispanic church there. And let me tell you something, when you're praying in Spanish, uh, I quickly came to the end of my own vocabulary. Uh, I think I prayed, Nombre de Jesus, Nombre de Jesus, over and over and over again. Fuego de Dios, Fuego de Dios. That's about as far as I got. Let me tell you something, I, all the time I hear from people, I don't know if I can pray effectively, I don't know. I've, guys, it's not about that. It is not about that. If you can call on the name of Jesus, the power of God is already inside of you. The Spirit of God is already inside of you to produce the kind of change that you need to see in this world. So let's, let's end in prayer. What we're going to do is we're going to end here in prayer. And then we're going to have, uh, I'm going to be up here. Maybe Debbie will be up here as well, just the two of us. And we'll be available if you need prayer. If you need somebody to agree with you in prayer, please come up and, and we'll pray with you. Uh, but we're going to end our time here. Um, with a prayer and a benediction. Lord, we come before you knowing that we do not have in and of ourselves the ability to change in the ways that we know we need to change. So, Lord, would you come and be present in our hearts and in our lives? Would you equip us with your spirit? And, Lord, if there's anyone here right now who says, I do not know what that means, I do not know what you are talking about. Either one, because you have never accepted Jesus in your heart, or two, because you have never truly accepted the Spirit in your life. I want to pray with you. If if that's you, would you just pray in your own heart and say, Lord, I want to open my heart up to you. Jesus, I, I need to be a part of you. Come and dwell within me, Lord. And if you're somebody here today who says, I I don't feel like I've ever fully opened myself to the Holy Spirit, would you just open yourself right now, open your heart, and say, Lord, come. Come, Holy Spirit, into my life. Come, Holy Spirit, in the abundance of your present personal power. Come and effect the change needed in my life. And Lord, I lift up this church to you. And God, I don't know how many more years you have for us. 
but even if it's another 1,986 years, we will still be here because you are with us, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Would you go with these people? Be with each of them throughout this week, Lord. Guard their hearts, Lord, and be with them. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling, to him, to him who is able to keep you from falling, and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.